Look what God did at Camp Wild. Amen? Amen. So good. So good. My friend Jamar likes to say, won't he do it? Says that about God. When God shows up, does something great, won't he do it? Let's say that together. Won't he do it? That's right. You can start saying that during the week when God is, he's so gracious and he's so faithful. We celebrate God and what he's doing, how he's changing lives. I love it that what happened not only happened here in the sound with kids around Auburn and beyond, but also kids in Vanuatu are blessed as well. And that's the connection. That's our vision as a church. It's local and global. We want to find hope. We want to spread the hope of Jesus everywhere we live, work, learn, or play to every nation. God loves people from all nations. We come together. We celebrate God and the hope that we find in him. And today, that's our theme, finding and spreading hope. And we just finished a series going through the minor prophets. And now, before we start the next series, this is standalone, finding hope in God. I can't think of anything more important these days to find your hope in the Lord and then to spread the hope of Jesus. Do you know how to do that? Is that your lifestyle right now? And we're going to look at Matthew. He's one of the disciples where there's not a lot of scripture on Matthew's life. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 5. If you brought a Bible, you can open it up or on your phones. Turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to find a couple verses. Luke's a physician. He pays a lot of attention to detail. He has a lot of compassion. And he's going to share with us part of Matthew's journey and part of Matthew's life, finding and spreading hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord. When your presence is with us, it makes all the difference. And we thank you that you're with us here right now uh, at home. We thank you, God, that when we celebrate you're with us, when uh, we can't find the next step forward, you're with us. You're faithful. You're kind. Your voice is tender. We long for more of your presence. And oftentimes we're dry and we need your hope. God, we pray your living water and refreshment deep in our souls today that your hope would overflow and our eyes would be opened to the opportunities to spread your hope. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. How many people here really want to have and experience more hope? Raise your hand if you've got a hunger for more hope in your life right now. How many people here also have a passion to spread more of God's hope in our neighborhoods and in the city and the nations? That's right. I saw a lot of hands, a lot of hunger. God sees that. God is looking for people who are hungry for his hope to experience it and spread his hope. And we live in a time right now where I believe that it is so significant to experience the hope of God. And there's a research. The Census Bureau did a study and found that 48% of Americans in this last year have felt hopeless. 48% of Americans said, I feel hopeless in the last year. And those are the only ones that are willing to admit it. The numbers are probably much, much higher. As followers of Jesus, we want to do two things that are seen in the Bible. One, understand the times that we're living in. Understand the season in the culture. And second, be faithful in this generation. How do we understand what God's doing and where people are at right now and then be faithful in this generation, be faithful for such a time as this? And something happened uh, this week where uh, it was a tragedy. It was unexpected, uh, brutal, but someone that I've known for decades took their life. And I know that many of you have gone through this as well and have shared, even after services, have shared what that's been like for you. And it reminded me that we don't know how many people are feeling hopeless, how long they felt hopeless, and how deep that hopelessness runs. We just don't know sometimes with the people around us. 
and this has been a week where there's been a lot of grieving. You know, you can love God and it's good to grieve. Jesus wept. When sad things happen and tragic things happen, you know, I fought tears for so long in my life. I just tried never to go there and grieve. But grieving's not fun and there's not a formula, I would say, but it's healthy and it's important and God's with us in the grieving. But we also don't grieve like ones without hope. And there's great hope. What this pain has done this week is really help fuel a passion in my heart to spread the hope of God. And, and more people would experience God's hope. And God's hope is real. And I, I, I want to be filled with God's hope. I want people to, to sense and know God's hope. And I also plead with you, if you're here today and you're in a situation where you're pretty low and you've even had some of that ideation, you've had some of that consideration, I want to plead with you to not make that decision. It's a final decision, and I encourage you not to make that decision. I want to say that we love you, and we're here for you, and we'll walk together. And there is help. There are resources. Um, we care about you. You're not alone. And so um, if you're in that situation, I just really want to plead. There's a lot of people in that situation these days, and, and I want to encourage you to come talk, and let's walk together. And uh, there is hope that's real, and it's deep, and it's greater than the pain and the challenges we face. And there's a better way that God brings. It's a way of healing and restoration, and Jesus will meet you there. And so, so this is a topic today where I'm not just doing a little Bible study and not just trying to come up with, oh, what are some nice thoughts about hope? But this is a, a time to encounter God and a time to really receive the hope from the Lord, be built up in his hope and then be on mission to spread his hope together. And we're going to see that's what happens in Matthew's life. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And I think it's so important to receive hope from the Lord because none of us can really give what we don't have. And if we don't drink deeply, if we don't go deep with the Lord, we can't minister out of a deep place. We can't bring hope that we don't have in the first step. It starts with finding hope. And that starts with Matthew and finding hope. And we need to find that hope of Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, that's Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. He's doing what tax collectors do. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, Matthew had a lot of things in this passage. Matthew had a job. Matthew had a career. Matthew was making a lot of money. And uh, Matthew had a big house. I mean, in a lot of ways, he was checking the boxes that we would say, oh, that measures success. Maybe you're today and you've got a job and you've got a steady career. You've got a house. You've got money. But you don't have hope. Your hope is running low. Matthew didn't have that hope. There's different people in the Bible that have a lot, but they don't have hope. Nicodemus came to Jesus. Nicodemus had religion. Nicodemus had morality. Nicodemus had scripture. Nicodemus had respect. Nicodemus had a lot of things, but he didn't have hope. He didn't have hope. He was searching. Jesus told him, you must come to me, be born again. Thomas, there was a time where Jesus, he was risen from the dead. He was appearing to many. Thomas had evidence. He was hearing other people share their stories, firsthand accounts. They've seen Jesus. Over 500 have seen Jesus. Thomas had community. Thomas, again, had seen Jesus, experienced Jesus, heard Jesus' teachings. Maybe you've very familiar with church, with Jesus, with the Bible, but you're running low on hope. You can have a lot of things in life, but not have 
And Jesus will meet you right there because this is a relationship. And this is a relationship where Jesus, in two words, these two words bring more hope maybe than any other two words. He says, follow me, follow me. It's a personal invitation to follow me and abide with me, receive my love and my hope. Now, I've pointed this out before, but I think it's worth repeating that in the culture where Jesus was walking and talking and teaching, there were rabbis. Jesus was this rabbi, teacher. And when people considered a rabbi, it wasn't just to listen in. I know in our culture, sometimes we think, oh, let me check out church, let me listen in, and then let me go do my own thing. Well, rabbis, it was different. It's not just to gain some knowledge or wisdom or some insights and then go live your life. When people followed a rabbi, it meant relationship, it meant trust, it meant fullness. And basically, the person was saying, I want to become like you. And that's really what it means to follow Jesus in any culture, is there's relationship, there's trust. I'm not just getting a little wisdom and self-help, but I want to become like you. Your power working in me, I want to live like you, I want to love people like you. And that's the posture we want to take as Jesus followers, as apprentices, or people who are learning and growing in our faith. Jesus wants to give us a foundation of hope. Hope is far more about a foundation than a feeling. Feelings can come and go. Some people, when they think of hope, just think, oh, it's kind of a feeling. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have more, sometimes you don't. And it's just like a feeling that goes up and down. Hope, biblically, is much more like a foundation. It's a foundation for your life. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is our hope. And here's seven things in the Bible we see that are linked to hope. Jesus gives us a new identity. You are in Christ forever. You're in God's family. You are secure, forgiven. The old is gone. The new has come. You have a new identity that's connected to hope. You also have a new mindset. You have the mind of Christ. God wants to renew your mind, bringing hope. New habits. Your habits start to look more like Jesus when you follow him. And then relationships change. You've got a love for people. When someone wrongs you, you can forgive them fully in Jesus' name. And that's bringing hope to our world right now. We need that passion and purpose. God connects them. For a lot of people, we struggle to connect those two. God brings passion and purpose together and you come alive. And at the core, there's beliefs, solid, that we stand on, historical evidence. And all these things are linked to hope. Hope is much more about a foundation in your life than feelings that just come and go. And Matthew You'd say, well, what's his experience? He was despised. Tax collectors, they were seen as traitors. Uh, if a tax collector was Jewish, now a tax collector would be seen as connected to Rome, ostracized. Uh, tax collectors, a lot of them were greedy. They took advantage of people. They were in a category where you just hear tax collectors and sinners, like, get away. Uh, he was despised. And I think with Jesus saying, follow me, there was a sense of acceptance. There was a sense of security. You know, the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. When you're in a relationship with Jesus, this is eternal security. This is, not, the devil can't take it away. The world can't take it away. There is a peace and a hope that filled Matthew's life. When he heard the invitation, follow me, he had to make a decision. And the Bible says he left everything and followed Jesus. I want to say you can be a tax collector continue to work, IRS, accounting, whatever it is, and follow Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to leave your job. But Jesus was calling Matthew to follow him. And the call was clear for Matthew, it was going to be leave your job. Some people left the job of being a fisherman to follow Jesus. Some people left the job of being a tax collector. 
And here's the difference between the two. If you catch fish and you follow Jesus, and then you decide, I don't really want to follow Jesus, I'm going back to fishing, the fishing job is always there. The fish are going to be there. You can still catch fish. But if you're a tax collector and you decide to follow Jesus, and you tell Rome, I'm out, later Rome, I'll tell you what Rome won't say. Rome won't say, oh, no problem. We'll save that job for you. No problem. Jesus sabbatical, go and enjoy it. See how it works. Oh, Matthew, you're coming back. We're so glad. We've been waiting for you. We are just thrilled you're coming back. Here's your job, Matt. Here's your job. Glad you came back. Rome's not going to say that. When Matthew says, I'm following Jesus, I'm no longer a tax collector, what he's saying is, I'm all in. I'm all in. Have you made that decision that you're all in? That you're all in for Jesus? Or are you holding on to something? Holding on to somebody, some idol, some sin. There's something where you're on the fence and you're kind of like following Jesus or this. It's a tough call. Well, for Matthew, he considered tax collector. That was his security, his job, and his money. But he says, Jesus is worthy. This is a hope I've never had before and it's so good. I don't even have to go through a pros and cons list. I don't have to analyze this. I don't have to rethink. I don't have to be on the fence because Jesus is so good. I challenge us if we're kind of on the fence, like do I love Jesus more or this sin more? Do I love Jesus more or my grabbing the steering wheel more? If it's kind of like that, we probably need a fresh view of Jesus and how good he is, how faithful he is, how much hope he brings. Because when you see Jesus for who he really is, everything else starts to fade. People's opinions and popularity, those things just don't look as important compared to the glory of Jesus in following Jesus. And he says, that's what I want. That's what I need. That's what I've been missing. I had a bunch of other things around my life, but this is at the core of my life. It's Jesus who's been missing. And he decides to follow Jesus. There's no better decision. And you say, well, then, is it going to be easy when we follow Jesus? No, it it might actually be more intense sometimes when you follow Jesus. There might be more challenges that you didn't expect. Here's a situation, because I don't want to paint the picture just that it's simplistic. We just have hope from Jesus, and then we just cruise through life, and we spread hope. And it's, you know, easy peasy. It's not like that. Matthew, he's going to share. One thing about the Bible is very transparent. You get to see people's failures, and you get to learn from them. We get to learn from those together. In Matthew chapter 17, he's sharing about a situation in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, there's a man who approached Jesus, and he knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. My son has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Can you picture this? We've got a dad. His son is suffering. If you're a parent and you've seen your child suffering, you know You want to do anything you can to relieve that suffering. Dad is watching his son, demon-possessed, out of control, oppression, demonic oppression, into the fire, into the water. Dad's pleading with the disciples, please help my son drive out the demon. I hear these Jesus followers can drive demons out and drive darkness out. Help my son. And the disciples, Matthew, the group, no help, no help. So what does dad do? Dad then, uh, Jesus Jesus replies, listen to what Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? 
How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. The disciples don't drive out the demon. And you know, Jesus doesn't say, oh guys, come over here for a hug. Come on over. That's not what he does in this context. He instead rebukes them. You know, we all need honest feedback, don't we? We've all kind of got blind spots. Sometimes we get full of ourselves. It's like we need honest feedback because that helps us grow. Jesus is heart. He loves them as they are, but he's also loving them enough to help them grow. And we want to grow in our faith. And he says, bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy. He was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private, and they asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Do you debrief with Jesus during the week? During the day, you know, do it during the day. Lord, this just happened. That didn't quite work out. You know, when I said that, I didn't mean for it to go that way, but I don't think it was received well. This relationship just kind of went sideways. You know, I'm starting to spend a lot of time there. I'm not sure that's the best place to spend time. Have those conversations with Jesus. They approached Jesus and said, Jesus, can we debrief here? Because we tried to drive that demon out and it wasn't going anywhere. And Jesus replied, it was because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Hope is more about the second thought than the first thought. The first thought is, demons are pretty rough. I don't think we can drive it out. I don't think it's going to work. Let's quit. Let's give up. There's not going to be any healing. That was the first train of thought. Jesus said, there's a better way. The better way, have faith in me. Abide with me. In my name, there's power. Cast out the demon in Jesus' name. Have faith. Mountains are going to move. Two very different thoughts. Again, what's happening between their ears, what's happening in their faith, in their soul. The first thought sometimes is, that person wronged me. I'm going to hold on to resentment. The second thought, forgive Start the healing and restoration process. Forgive fully. The first thought is kind of timid, kind of scared. The second thought is, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, with power and with love. The first thought is worry. The second thought is trust God. Trust God. Do you notice the difference between our first thoughts and our second thoughts? The first thought, you can't always control. It comes into your mind, but you can control it. You're going to believe it, accept it, embrace it. Is it just going to sit there? Or instead, are you going to replace it? God wants to renew our minds. You put scripture in there. When something comes along, a temptation comes along, Jesus says, it is written. There's the flesh and the spirit. So often the flesh is the first thought. Don't stick with the first thought. Let Jesus renew your mind. Hope comes in the second thought, in the learning, in the growing, in the trusting him. It's in between our ears. God wants to renew the mind. He's renewing their faith and they're learning. They're going to grow. You say, well, did he learn? Did Peter learn? He sure did. Matthew learned. Peter learned. You watch their journeys. Paul learned. In the book of Acts, and this is after the resurrection, before the Holy Spirit comes. Kind of an interesting spot. I mean, Jesus' death and resurrection, now he ascends into heaven and they're waiting for Pentecost, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And what are they going to do in this time of waiting? How do you respond to a time of waiting? They united and they prayed in hope, in unity, in prayer. You know what Matthew learned? He learned that in prayer, you trust God's word and his promises and his presence is with you. And you take that posture in times of waiting, fullness of hope. Look at Acts 1, 13, uh, chapter 1, verse 13. When they arrived, they all went upstairs, that upper room where they were staying. Those present, here were their names, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, 
Simon, and Judas. This is the other Judas, not the one who betrayed him. Say, well, why do we list the names? Why does the Bible list names so often? Some of these names are hard to say, right? Why does he list the names? It's because every person's important. God knows your name. When you put your trust in Jesus, God writes your name in the book of life for eternity. Your name's important. You are important. You are not here by accident today. This is about relationship. They were trusting, refining their hope. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers as well. Hope is an intentional decision. Hope is where you put your confidence. And ultimately, every day, we either put our hope in the government, the culture, our own abilities, other people, expectations. We can put our hope in a lot of places, or like an anchor, we can find and put our hope in God. And that's worship. In the Psalms, see, putting your hope in God is the theme of the Bible. In the Psalms, it's Old Testament, New Testament. I want to read some of the Psalms. Psalm 25, no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. My hope is in you, God, all day long. Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. Psalm 39, my hope is in you. Psalm 42 and 43, put your hope in God. Psalm 52, in your name I will hope. Psalm 62, my hope comes from him. Psalm 71, but as for me, I will always have hope. Psalm 119, I have put my hope in your word. Psalm 130, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. In Psalm 147, those who hope put their hope in his unfailing love. It's a choice. Where do you find, where do you put your hope? In God in his word, and in his love. That is the only place in this world that your hope will be secure. That is the very best choice, and it's a source. Like living water with a well that doesn't dry up, that's the source for finding hope. I believe this last year has been a huge challenge for Christ followers and a great opportunity to grow, and grow in this one area. Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our hope? Do we know how to drink deeply from God's well of living water and hope? Circumstances can be awful. I've gone through some intense grieving on the inside. And grieving just hits you at different times this week. But I grieve, but there's hope. There is a hope greater than our tragedies and our circumstances and our challenges. We still feel them, but there is a hope available without, uh, there's no limits to the hope that Jesus brings And I believe that God wants us to drink deeply from that well of hope. It's his grace that the well of hope runs deeply and doesn't run out. And then it leads to the second question, which is when you find the hope of God, when you have the hope of God and it's overflowing, what does it look like to spread his hope? Let's go back to Luke chapter 5 and looking at Matthew's life and look at verse 29. In Luke chapter 5 verse 29, there's going to be more tension here. Hope is not an easy path, but let's take a look how it plays out. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come... Not to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. There are hope blockers in your life. There are going to be different people who step up. The Pharisees, 
they had hard hearts. They didn't want to repent. They didn't want to change. They didn't want to follow Jesus. They had hard hearts. And when you have a hard heart, it's going to play out in your words and in your relationships. They had a hard heart resisting God. Hope blocked. And then from that, they criticize. Matthew, they tried to ostracize him, alienate him. Has anyone ever just tried to push you away, say, you don't belong, you're not in this group, you're not as good, and they push you away? That's what they did to Matthew. Tax collectors and sinners, get over there. The religious community tried to push Matthew out of the way, criticize him. And then they're criticizing Jesus. How can you be the savior of the world when you're having meals with sinners? When you go to these banquets with sinners, who do you think you are? First, they question his authority before this in verse 21 because he said he forgives sins, and they question that. Blasphemy, they said. And now they question the way he loves people. How can you love sinners like that? Who are you? They criticized. Don't be discouraged when religious people, crusty religious attitudes, come alongside and try to criticize you. Here's the link not to miss right here. Self-righteousness always leads to a critical spirit. Self-righteousness is linked to a critical spirit. If you've got a critical spirit, it might be time to search your heart and check on the self-righteousness because maybe you've forgotten about the grace and mercy of God And maybe God's been good to you and you've been critical to other people because a spirit of self-righteousness has come up in your heart. And you know what the religious people do? They criticize outreach. Jesus is going to take heat. Jesus is going to be killed. Is there a cross? Is there a cross and a cost? Yeah, I would just call it a cross. There was a cross and a cost to spreading the hope of God. Don't think that It's just going to be easy to spread God's hope and do outreach. You know what? This is how God works. He finds humble, sinful people who know they need hope, and Jesus brings hope, and he fills them with hope, and they change the world. Who is God going to change the world with? Sinful people who know they need hope, who know they need God. What about self-righteous people? They don't think they need hope. They don't think they need a doctor. They don't think they need to abide with Jesus. Are they going to change the world? They're not going to change the world. Jesus is looking for tax collectors and sinners who know how much they need the hope of Jesus. And God will fill them, and they will change the world. Uh, I believe that our church is going to spread more hope together than ever before. I believe this is the time right now. University of Copenhagen did a study. They found that in terms of Google searches, in over 90 countries, there's never been more searches for the word prayer. Why are people, not just in one or two countries, but in 90 countries, why are people going on their computers and typing in the word prayer, prayer, prayer? I'll tell you why. Because they're looking for hope. They're looking for God. And they're just wondering, how do you pray? And the sad part is, so many people who don't know Jesus don't have maybe any friends who know Jesus. Where do people go today when they've got spiritual questions? You know where they're going? They're going online. It's where they're spending nine hours a day. And they go online and they, where do people in the youngest generation go when they've got spiritual questions? Do you think they come knocking on the door of the church? Do you think they just like, there's 10 people and and Monday morning just knocking the doors of our church saying, "Uh, could we talk about prayer? I would love it if that happened, but let's be realistic. Let's meet people where they're at. And I'll tell you where they're at. They're typing in late at night, two in the morning, feeling lonely, just sinned, kind of feel guilt. What do I pray? 
Is there a God who answers prayer? And it's all across the world right now. They're saying, where's the hope? Where's the hope in this pandemic? That's the world that we're living in. And so we come back to Matthew, and we notice two things. There's two categories for spreading hope. There's universal, things we can all do, and then there's the unique, that God has, he's tapped you on the shoulder, and he said, this has your name on it. This has your name on it. Moses, God called Moses, Moses, this has your name on it. Moses said, oh, don't you want to send somebody else? I mean, when you got people who are better speakers. You, you got better people. God, you could send someone else. I'm not really sure. I'm, no, Moses, this has your name on it. Matthew, there's some things he's going to do that are universal, and then there's some things he can do that are very unique, just like you have a unique calling and assignment. What does he do that's universal? He has a party. Anyone in here can have a party. I know even the most kind of bitter-faced person can have a party. You can have a meal. You can have people over. You can open up your home. You can open up your heart. You can open up hospitality. You can take someone out for a meal. You can do this. We can all do this. We can love our neighbor, have a party, have a meal, have some fun. That's what he's doing in this passage. Just something we can all do. And I want to highlight the importance of that because I looked at some statistics recently and they were eye-opening. Some things I didn't realize. Maybe had a sense but didn't realize. Statistics kind of put it right there in writing. Barna, who does a lot of research, reports about what people who don't follow Jesus, what they really think about the church. Now, if you're here today and you're not following Jesus, we're honored you're here. You're not less than anybody else. We are honored. You're made in God's image. You're loved by God. Here's some research. Only 21% of people who don't follow Jesus have a positive perception of the local church. I want to tell you, when you came here today, you might not realize it, but you're kind of an outlier. It's not really the thing to do in the sound. It's just come to church and worship Jesus. In fact, it's a very, very small percentage in the sound. And you might think, well, everybody loves the church. Well, actually, 21% of people have a positive view of the local church. So we need healing, right? We need healing there. Yeah, we really do. Second is that half of people who don't follow Jesus don't trust their local pastors. What? What? I thought everybody. I thought I'm a pastor and then we're good to go. Uh, no, I'm not crushed. Don't take it personally. But it's a good reality that over half the people are thinking, oh, a pastor can't trust a pastor. Again, we need healing, right? And there's the third one. Uh, millennials in the generation ages 22 to 36, so think 36 and younger, they think that the local church is detached from the real issues people are facing. So the church is kind of irrelevant, doesn't really get what life is about now, kind of ancient, not really in touch, not really you know, able to talk about the things that are important. Those are, uh, that's the culture we live in. And you think that's America. What about Canada? Carrie Newhoff, who's a leader in America and Canada, leads a church in Canada. What's happening in Canada is the direction the U.S. has been going. And specifically, the number of people in Canada who say, I have no faith, no religion, is now at 24%. It's up from 16%. 10 years ago. And he says there's a massive shift in Canada right now, and it's not plateauing, it's skyrocketing. That the people who reject God, faith, religion, it's up to 25%. U.S. is kind of heading that direction too. And as we see that happening, he says there are some assumptions that we used to have that are true less and less every year. He said there's an assumption that young adults are just going to come back to church when they have kids. He said we're actually not seeing that. People are going to turn to God when they hit a crisis, but we're, we're not seeing that. Most people are going to come back because they had it when they were young. They're just going to come back. Well, they're not seeing that. When people have spiritual needs, 
They will look to the church. They're going to come right to the church for their spiritual needs. He says, we're not seeing that. What do you do with all those different statistics and realities? What do you do? Here's his number one application. Don't miss it. Build relationships. Build relationships with people who don't know the Lord. Love people who don't know Jesus. Now, for some of you, you're very involved in the community. You've got a lot of relationships. Your job, your neighbors. You just have so many relationships, and you're loving people, and people are seeing Jesus in you, the way you serve them and care for them, listen for them in uh, their stories. But I'll tell you, there's probably another group here that unintentionally over the years, there's many mature Christians that have just really lost touch with the culture, don't have relationships, aren't building trust, aren't sharing their faith, and just kind of isolated and without even realizing it, like a Christian little holy huddle echo chamber kind of thing. And that's just not how Jesus lived. And there's passages like this that kind of go, wait a second, you know what? I've seen what Matthew did, and I see how he spreads hope, and I see what Jesus did, and my life just seems kind of different, and I think I want to be more like Jesus. God, would you do something new in my life so I could spread some of your hope into relationships? Because if we're thinking everyone's just going to come banging down the doors of the church, well, actually, we go and we love people and we find out where they are. These are some of the things, I mean, we're trying to do in that direction. We have drive-through prayer. Right here in Auburn Way, we've got a group of people last month that gather on Fridays and it's drive-through prayer. Anyone in the community driving by can just come in and receive prayer. Some of them drive in, they're already crying before they say, can you pray for me? because they just see there's a safe place. There's a connection there. Together uh, with some other churches, on August 14th, we're going to serve. We're going to roll up our sleeves. We're going to serve in Auburn. Uh, August 28th, Grace Loves Auburn. We're going to invite hundreds of people into this place. We're going to meet some needs, build relationships. Uh, we have hope boxes in the lobby. You can just grab one of those. About 1,000 hope boxes have already gone out. You can put some gifts, a gift card, some food in there. You can give it to a neighbor. There's so many ways. It's not just kind of these events, although those are good. The point of those events is that they be a catalyst, and we just live that way. We just be like, game on. Monday morning, God, who needs hope? God, I feel weak today. May your power come in me. God, let me look around. Let me see people. Let me just care for people today. Who needs some encouragement? And we start to live that way, the way Jesus lived. That's another way of saying it. Hope grows. It grows more when you give it away than when you retreat in safety. Notice what didn't happen. Matthew, experiencing Jesus' hope, didn't retreat in safety and say, you know, I think I'm just going to watch TV again tonight for four hours. I just can't find that in the passage. He says, let's open up the house. Let's bring some people in. Let's love some people. Let's have a party. Let's get to know the neighbors. Let's, sinners, tax collectors, please come as you are. He doesn't say, give me the remote control and let me flip channels for four more hours tonight. Say, so what's the pattern of the world? I mean, all we do is screens and get locked into screens and more screen time and screen time and more TV and more TV and 20 plus hours. I'm not seeing TV as a sin. Don't twist it. But I am saying I don't read in this passage where you say, well, Matthew didn't have remote control. He couldn't watch all the great shows. <laughs> do you think it's really fulfilling to stare at a screen again and again and again, when there's real people all around us. We could pray for, we could call, we could email, 
We could listen to it. We could have a meal. This passage challenges us. Hospitality is about the heart. You say, well, I don't have that hope. I just don't feel that hope for other people. Then we go back to receiving hope again. The hope of Jesus fills our hearts. We start to love and see people how Jesus loves and sees people. I believe when we're spreading the hope of God together, together, there are no limits. One partnership we've had in our church is with World Vision. I want to celebrate some things that God is doing. This is macro, big picture, because we're local and global, both. In the last 20 years, this is good news and bad news, I guess, a combination. In the last 20 years, the number of kids dying every day because they don't have food or poverty-related diseases has been lessened from 30,000 to 15,000 a day. And in one hand, we say, yes, that's 15,000 kids a day that are being rescued from not having food in hunger-related diseases. And then we also hear that and think, oh, God, please help us with the other 15,000 kids a day. Uh, millions of refugees have been helped. Maybe the biggest humanitarian crisis in the last few years. Millions have been helped. Millions have come to know Jesus. So many have come to know Jesus. Uh, less in terms of women giving childbirth and dying in childbirth, now 38% less are dying in childbirth. That is tremendous. Here's one that we really participated in uh, really actively. Every 10 seconds, one more person, often a child, has access to clean water. Every 10 seconds, there's another person who has access to clean water. At this rate, by the year 2030, Everyone in the world is going to have access to clean water. Isn't that awesome? In our generation, you know, we had people walking, crawling, running, a half marathon. We saw, you know, so much just together as a church family. You say, well, what's happening big picture? God is saving lives in clean water for everyone. We're living in a time where there is so much potential. And uh, you say, what are the unique things? Matthew had a talent. He was a tax collector. Some people, they're great with details. He was like, you know, bean counter. He, every little detail, he was on it, he was on it, he was on it. You know what God did? He took that ability, that God-given ability, and under the lordship of Christ, using that same attention to detail, he wrote the gospel of Matthew. Do you think he planned to do that? No, but it was in God's plans. God took a tax collector, gave him hope. I'll tell you, if you take today, if you take your abilities and talents and resources and just say, God, you made me, you gave them to me, I want to use them however you see fit. There's probably ways, God, that not even on my radar, but God, my talents aren't mine, they're yours, and I want to use them for your glory. If that's your prayer right now, just be ready, because God might lead you to write something, God might lead you to love someone, God might lead you overseas. You know, we have a couple of historians, Clement and Irenaeus, that said that Matthew ended up going overseas to other countries to spread the hope of God. God will lead you and guide you, but it's that first step of just saying, God, I want to spread your hope in this world. I want to make this world a better place. I want people to experience your love, Jesus. And when that's your heart and you say, God, here's my talents, I don't just want to settle for 28 hours of screen time. At the end of my days, I don't want to look back and say, wow, I invested 10, 15, 20% of my waking hours in just screen time. It didn't change any lives. Like, God, I want to live for your calling and your glory. 
And you have a glorious calling, and that's what I'm encouraging you with. Don't shrink or settle for something less. You have a glorious calling that wherever God leads you, where you live, work, learn, or play, that you are a world changer. It's what the disciples were trying to figure out. Couldn't drive out demons. No, you have power in Jesus' name to bring the light of God to the darkest places and to change the culture, and that's through Jesus working in you. Wherever you go this week, you are not just at work. You are there to shine the light and hope of Jesus. And you say, well, that's way out of my comfort zone. It absolutely is. Do you think it was in the comfort zone of the 12 disciples, almost all of them, to be killed on a cross? Do you think that was in their comfort zone? It absolutely wasn't. Do you think God wants to send us far out of our comfort zone? He absolutely does. That's where you're going to see God work. That's where you're going to see him move. Trust him. Trust him. Don't you want to see lives changed? Don't you want to see suicide numbers go down? Don't you want to see marriages restored? Don't you want to see people have eternal life? Don't you know that God has given you the ability and opportunities that together we can do this? We can see this happen? Don't you taste that for a season like this? Let's not get stuck. Let's not settle for less. Jorge inspires me. Jorge, a lot of crimes, life sentence. People said to him, Jorge, you're going to spend your whole life in prison now. It's done. Where's the hope in that? You're not going anywhere. Why change lives? You're so limited. What can you really do? Jorge said, I'm going to be of service to my community in prison, mentoring and encouraging my fellow inmates, and to see change, their detrimental thinking, instead a positive state of mind. I want to tell you that in prison, God can spread hope. We've got a prison team that's been going for years, a decade, Seen so many lives change. God moves in prisons. Because freedom isn't, listen, they're not going to be able, some of them, to go beyond the walls of that prison their entire life here on earth. But what happens in relationships in that prison is phenomenal. Freedom isn't just about outward circumstances. There's a freedom in Jesus Christ. There's a hope in Jesus Christ. A coming alive that even if you put someone in prison their whole life, they can be alive in the Lord. And what is God doing in your life? God is stretching me. About uh, this last year, I got a conviction that God, I'll just spread your hope, whatever that looks like. I'm just going to go for it and not look back. And sometimes, you know, recently, like we were in a neighbor's home. We were over at a neighbor's home. And I was just thinking, wow, God connected us, built a relationship. Now we're in this home that we've never been in before. God will do that in your neighborhood. Uh, I was on Instagram Live Saturday morning, woke up first thing in the morning, and I jumped on to this Instagram Live podcast video thing with two guys. I had no idea what the questions were going to be. It was like, here we go. You know, here we go. Um, Good morning, America. Stretched me. Really, a lot of prayer that week. Really stretched me. You don't know where God's going to lead you, guide you, but receive his hope. Spread his hope for such a time as this. Here's the last one. And then I'm going to give an invitation. Jesus brings a hope with no limits. It's available in abundance every day. Let's be people who understand the times, are faithful in our generation, who receive hope and spread hope. I'm going to give an invitation right now, two invitations. The first one is for salvation, to put your trust in Jesus for the first time. If you've never done that, it's not by earning a spot in heaven. Over half of America thinks it's through good effort, good works, being good enough. I want to tell you that's the opposite of the Bible. It's actually through faith in Christ. If you're here right now, and, and, and the worship team, we're going to worship in a minute. We're going to worship. But first, two invitations for salvation and then for healing. The first one, salvation. If you're here today, 
And I'm not going to ask you to share your whole story or say anything or give a speech. But if you're here today and you've never made that decision, maybe your parents or friends have, you know, maybe you know some people who have, but you're here today and you've never made that decision. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must put your trust in him. If you're ready to make that decision, I'm going to ask you here and at home, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Simple, raising your hand to let us know. And I'm going to pray for you just to let us know that you're here today. You want to start a relationship with Jesus. You want to put your faith in him. You understand it's by grace, an undeserved gift. And you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Not just intellectual facts about him, but you're ready to make that decision. Just go ahead and lift your hand where you're sitting. Just go ahead and lift your hand and just say, yes, I'm ready. I see the hand there. That's right. Anybody else? I see another hand. I see two hands. I see two people who are saying today is the day. They're going to put their trust. I see another hand. I see a third hand. I see three people. You can know. You can have the assurance of salvation that you are in God's family, secure and loved forever. Your sins are wiped out, all of them. And you're going to spend eternity with God, and he'll never leave you or forsake you right now. I saw three hands. Three hands. Anybody else? Anybody else? A fourth hand. Thank you. Yep, a fourth hand. Beautiful. Another hand right there. Five hands. Five people. Five people. You know, I didn't plan to do this this weekend. On Saturday night, when the song ended, I see another hand, a sixth hand. I just sense God saying, give an invitation this weekend. Give an invitation. I said, Matt, we're doing an invitation. Six people. I want to tell you, there's no greater miracle than the miracle of salvation. When you go from death to life. It happened to me later in life because I didn't grow up knowing Jesus. But I made that decision. Same decision Matthew made in this passage. Same decision you make. We celebrate with you. We celebrate. I would be honored if after service you'd come over and just let me know. And um, we just want to walk with you. want to encourage you. And if you just come over after service. I want to pray right now. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the dear people who had the courage to say that they want to follow you. God, we don't just want to read about it in the Bible. We want to follow you in relationship. Jesus, thank you that you are risen, that you are faithful. And there's no greater love or hope than the love and hope that we find in you. And thank you, God, for these dear brothers and sisters that have made a decision today to follow you, the very best decision of their lives. And it matters for eternity. And we thank you, God, for your goodness. We pray in your name. Amen. We had a passage today where there was a party and people experienced Jesus and the hope of Jesus. And I'll tell you what just happened right here is we had a party that just broke out and, and the hope of Jesus and people come to know Jesus. We just saying death has lost its grip on me. Jesus declared he is the resurrection and the life. Death, where is your victory? Death does not have the final say. And for anyone who puts their trust in Jesus, they have eternal life and there is a victory that never, never ends. So our church service is ending. Uh, but I want to tell you that we're here for prayer. If you put your trust in Jesus, please come over. I'd love to just meet you. And uh, if you didn't want to come forward, but you still want to put your trust in Jesus to receive prayer, the prayer team and I are going to stay right here. The last person needs prayer. So have a great day with the Lord. Receive the hope of Jesus and go spread his hope this week. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.